vacation. Just the sound of the word. Gentle breeze. The waves of the Mexican surf just kind of gently lapping on my right. The pool was on my left. I settled down in my lounge chair, just soaking up the sun. I closed my eyes and just went, Ah, I have waited months for this moment. All of a sudden, I heard the words, Barry, wake up. There's a couple here I want you to meet. They're right over here, and they're from Renton. Would you believe it? I must confess, when I'm on vacation, (laughs) I tend to check out. But my wife, on the other hand, she, she likes to connect. So being the sacrificial husband, I got up from my lounge chair and followed her over. And really, we had the most delightful time with this couple from Renton who really had an entirely different reason for being there. And they were staying at the same resort. They invited us to a church service, which uh, they were attending church there uh, the next day. So we went and I had a chance to preach, which was always a blessing uh, to me personally. The next day, they invited us to a city tour. Only this time, it wasn't like any city tour I have ever been on in my life. Uh, Instead of a bus, we boarded the back of a flatbed truck filled with other people from the church and sacks and sacks of groceries. We proceeded uh, to the downtown area, and we toured around through the suburban area of Mazatlan. But we went even further to where most of the people lived where there were rows upon rows upon rows of dirt streets and huts and people cooking their meals over fires in their front yard. But we went even further to uh, what I could see were literally mountains of garbage. And from the distance on the, on the mountainside, I could see these, these black, these dots, these dark dots. And it looked like these dots were moving, but I couldn't make them out. Well, we got closer. And I could see that these dots were actually people pawing through the garbage, searching for anything that would keep them alive, for one more day. It was there that we uh, handed out the groceries. A little while later, I returned back to our resort and (laughs) settled back in my lounge chair, closed my eyes. But this time, I had visions of the people at the city dump. Filled my heart with care for them as I continued to pray for them 
and the work of the local church there. I mean, when, when you take Jesus with you on vacation, <laughs> anything can happen. Well, the disciples did the same. They took Jesus on vacation. They were getting out away from the crowds. They got in, remember our uh, message the last few weeks. They got into a boat, went across the lake. Jesus was asleep at the stern. A violent storm comes up, which Jesus calms. And then they get to the other side only to be accosted by a demon-possessed man whom Jesus delivers into a herd of pigs. Uh, And that severely impacted the local pig economy there. So the community came down and basically asked Jesus to leave. So (laughs) anything can happen, can it, when we take Jesus on vacation? So they get back into the boat and they arrive in town, and this is where we pick up our story today. Verse 40 says, When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter about 12 years old, and she was dying. Now, Jairus was a somebody, okay? Respected, leader in the community, but position, authority, respect meant absolutely nothing at this time. He was in a crisis situation, and he needed outside help. This was something he couldn't do alone, and he knew it. So he fell at Jesus' feet, and he pleaded with him, basically, to make a house call. And Jesus agreed. As amazing as it sounds, isn't it, isn't it great to know we serve a God who makes house calls? He did many times in the Scripture, and he does so today. Well, let's read on. While he was going, the crowds were were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Now, Now, Luke describes this as a mob scene. The word actually to crush means to suffocate, you know. It means to squeeze out like grapes, like wine from grapes. It is the word actually uh, to choke. And Luke uses it earlier describing Jesus who told the parable of the person with cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it, it becomes unfruitful. You ever been in a crowd like that, squeezed? I can imagine the disciples. They're they're probably having to act like security guards at this time just to make their way through the crowd. Now, to many in the crowd, Jesus was the main attraction. I mean, he was the celebrity. I think like a sports star, or a someone of a great fame, they just wanted to be there. 
This was the happening place. They were curious. They just wanted to see this guy and the miracles which he performed. You know, they, want, they were there. They want autographs, maybe high five or pat him on the back or whatever it was. But there was a woman. And Luke describes her just a woman there who needed far more. What do we know about her? Well, we read here that she suffered from menstrual bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. And Luke actually uses this phrase that means fountain of blood. A 12-year menstrual period is bad enough, right? Pain, cramping, fatigue, you know, all the hygiene probably associated with that. But in those days, in that culture, this woman would have also been rendered ceremonially unclean and excluded from every part of community life. Everyone she touched would have also been unclean and required to cleanse themselves the next day. She was forbidden to attend the synagogue and the festivals, which would basically have excluded her from nearly everything in their culture. She was ostracized. She was an outcast. She was alone and gyrus, I think, probably even knew to stay away from her. In fact, rulers of synagogues in that day, they avoided touching any women for fear that they would be contaminated accidentally. This woman, if she wasn't divorced, was likely never married. She was alone. And being in that crowd only intensified her loneliness. Well, Luke describes no one could heal her. In fact, Luke is a physician, and he's even saying that she spent all her money on physicians and found no cure. Actually, in the book of Mark, it's a little less sensitive. Mark says that she suffered many things at the hands of physicians. Most likely, she tried everything that was commonplace in that society. Now, the rabbinical cures for this kind of illness was to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag in the summertime, or to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a cotton rag in the wintertime. Or you could carry the barley corn from the dung of a white female donkey I'm not making this up. Or you could take a glass of wine mixed with rubber alum. Now, you know what alum is? Alum is an astringent. It'll cause nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. (laughs) Additional ingredients you could add might be garden crocuses or onions. That was what she was resorting to. Nothing worked. Nothing she bought on infomercials worked. She was out of options. She was alone, but she knew she couldn't do this alone. She needed outside help. 
She was desperate, and Jesus was her last, really her only option. So what does she do? She was compelled to make her way through the crowd, ignoring the discrimination in the process just to have the chance to lay a hold on Jesus. At that point, she didn't care who she touched or even that that the teacher might be rendered ceremonially unclean. Because of that, she approached him from behind, right? Because you think of it, if she tried to approach him from the front, the crowd may have even prevented her from getting close to Jesus. And she also would have had to tell everybody the reason for the cure which she wanted. No, she touched him though. Likely she grabbed the tassel on the, the end of his cloak, which, which men characteristically would, would throw over their left shoulder and the tassel would dangle uh, down their back. The word to touch actually means to fasten or it means to lay a hold of. And when she reached out to Jesus, she reached out to him in faith and was healed instantly. Who touched me? Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and and pressing against you. Now, that's, I think, saying it mildly. We know Peter. And the way he is, is vocal at these kinds of times, I'm sure he's thinking, Master, who touched you? I mean, you can't be serious. We're being suffocated by these people, and you're saying, who touched you? (laughs) Jesus didn't say this because he didn't know. He knew. He said it so the woman could come forward and identify herself publicly. Let's read on. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. She was restored physically. But there's more healing that takes place here. Jesus knew that she needed to be restored to her community. And so he gave her an opportunity to express this publicly. Now, back then, it was very unusual for a woman to say anything in public given the nature of her problem, probably even made that even more difficult. She may have even begun to leave, you know, starting off uh, to leave, wanting to stay unnoticed, as, as was her habit, probably during those 12 years. But when somebody reaches out to Jesus, life is never the same. No more being shunned. No more being embarrassed. She came and declared what Jesus had done for her. It said, in the presence of 
all the people. Now remember, she was excluded from church, basic synagogue, for 12 years. She hadn't even heard the word of God probably for 12 years. She didn't have all the head knowledge. She may have even had kind of an element of superstition in, in thinking to touch Jesus' garment. There wasn't any magic. And so Jesus clarifies that here. There wasn't any uh, power of positive thinking. No. Jesus commended her for her simple, genuine faith. He says, your faith has saved you. Now, her timid faith became a testifying faith. And what was so personal for her was no longer private. She had been restored physically. She had been restored now to her community. But there was something even greater. Let's read on. He said, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the only place in the Gospels where it is said that our Lord used such a loving term to address any woman. Daughter. Once this woman was sick with disease, now she was healed. Once she was an outcast, and now she's a neighbor. Once she was a woman, but now she is a daughter of the king, the king of kings and lord of lords. John 1.12 says this, says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. If you receive Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, he'll give you the right to be a daughter, to be a son. You'll be a part of a brand new family, a forever family. Notice Jesus said, go in peace. You know, what once her life was characterized by embarrassment, frustration, poverty, you know, rejection, whatever. Now he is putting her on a new path, a path that's characterized by peace and wholeness. But where he is pronouncing peace to this woman, you could only imagine that Jairus here is losing his peace. Although it doesn't, we don't see his uh, responses recorded here, I could imagine that Jairus is not thinking, we're just late. You know, he's trying to save his daughter, and this woman's problem can, can wait. Come on, Jesus, turn on the sirens, you know? Turn on the lights. Let's get going. Well, Jesus knew. Jesus knew his daughter. He knew every breath that was fading from his daughter's life. 
And yet, did that interrupt him? Did that rattle him? You know, he didn't say, oh, gee, Jairus, I am so sorry. I forgot all about this. You know, I, let, I, time's running out. Here, let's go. Let's hurry on. No, he didn't do that. Listen, this woman was no interruption. She wasn't a roadblock. There may have been 99 Jairus's waiting. There may have been 99 Bill Gates, 99 Russell Wilsons, 99 patrol cars with the sirens blaring and the lights flashing, and Jesus would have stayed and healed this woman. You ever feel like that? Alone? Forgotten? Somebody or something is always more important than you are? Know this. You are the one that Jesus came for. You are exactly the one whom Jesus came for. You have infinite value to God. And if you were the only one on earth God would have sent his son and nothing less to die for you because you mean that much to him. Sure, God loves the whole world, but he loves you personally. And he will take all the time that you need to heal you and to listen to you. Well, <laughs> to make matters worse for Jairus, while he was still speaking, we read on here, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Actually, in the Greek, it's even stronger. It says it this way. It says, dead is your daughter. Jairus must have been thinking it's over. It's too late. If only I'd been there sooner. We've lost her forever. You know, it's, it's said that perhaps there's no greater grief than that of a parent losing a child. And I can imagine with those words, those words must have sent Jairus into this kind of a black hole of shock and numbness and despair. But Jesus knew that he interrupted Jairus's thoughts with these words. He says, when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, don't be afraid, only believe and she will be saved. Only believe with unruffled calmness. Jesus 
whispers these words to Jairus, to this grief-stricken father. Up until then, Jesus had demonstrated his power in healing whole towns. He demonstrated his power over nature. He demonstrated his power to forgive, power to heal from afar, power to raise even a widow's son to life. Jesus has power over life and power over death. He has all power. So to him, it's never too late. Time is never an enemy to God. He is the master of every situation. And so Jesus invited this highly respected leader to believe him, just as he had seen demonstrated in this woman's life who revealed faith. Now is a real life lesson for Jairus to believe too. Jesus is saying, Jairus, do you believe me that I have the power over death? Do you believe me for even the impossible? Jairus, it's not too late to keep believing. Believe me for what you think is impossible. Don't sanitize your faith. Rely on me and not the statistics. Don't pay attention to the crowd in this cloud of pessimism that is sweeping over them. Believe me and me alone. Trust in me completely, he says. Rely on me fully. It means that Jairus would have had to go back and answer the same questions, but this time by faith. It's over. Well, no, it's not over. It's too late. Well, no, it's it's not too late. I've lost her. Well, no, I, I haven't lost her. Only believe. So they arrive at the house of Jairus. People have already begun their wailing. These were hired mourners, well acquainted with death. And it says that everyone was crying and mourning for her. And he said, stop crying because she is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him because they knew that she was dead. Within minutes of healing this this woman from 12 years of pain, now Jesus is being ridiculed. They mocked him for the idea of of this girl sleeping. Is it any wonder that Jesus never trusted himself to the crowds? (laughs) The Son of God, though, is so powerful that what is death to us is no more than sleep to him. Yeah. In fact, in the New Testament, believers are never said to die, really, but to sleep. 
See, the, the previous miracle had basically taken place unobserved. But what did Jesus do? Out of consideration for this woman, he made it public, right? So that she'd be restored, you know, to her community. It's equally a mark of consideration for this little girl that Jesus didn't allow anybody to enter into the house except for a few disciples and the mom and dad. Why? Because when he raised this girl from the dead, he didn't want this little girl to be the center of a gaping crowd. So, just a few disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the parents were allowed in. And then he took her by the hand. Jesus proceeded to wake her up. How do you wake up in the morning? You know, I've tried everything to kind of help ease me out of sleep, you know. Recently, I tried to wake up to rain sounds from Alexa. The only problem with that is it's so realistic. I really thought it was raining. and I rolled over and went back to sleep. Oh, you know, when my kids were small, for Christmas one year, we gave one of them a big bird alarm clock. Now, that was a huge mistake. (laughs) Because for weeks, everyone in the house, I mean, this thing was loud. Everyone in the house would wake up to rise and shine, sleepy head. Don't roll over now. Come on. It's a new day. You know, (laughs) I tell you, two weeks of that, and that alarm got conveniently lost. (laughs) But here, Jesus utters simple Aramaic words to Letha Kumi, little girl, Wake up. These were just homely words spoken in the language that she understood. These were the kinds of words that a mom and dad would typically use to wake up their kids in the morning. (laughs) And so Jesus wakes this little girl up and begins to say, you know, get her something to eat. It says that her spirit returned. She got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. You know, Jesus' tremendous power in raising her from the dead is matched, isn't it? By his sensitivity, by his gentleness with this, with this girl. Imagine to feel the touch of Jesus' hand when she woke up. You know, while he says to her, hey, time to get up. It's time for breakfast. Your mom is over here making food for you. Come on. You know, to wake up holding his hand and to know that you're not alone. Her parents were amazed. And Jesus instructed them to tell no one. Well, obviously, you know they're going to tell their family 
They're going to tell the mourners outside, obviously, to go home. But But Jesus wanted their focus and attention where it should be, right? On their daughter and not on publicizing it to the crowd. It just wasn't needed. Much later, Jesus said these words to comfort his followers. He said this, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, wouldn't I have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am you may be also a believer in the same way that Jesus was there for this little girl. He will be there for you. One day you will feel his hand and hear his voice saying, welcome. Hey, I've got something to show you. And for you who are not yet believers, Jesus has these words for you. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See, coupled here are two miracles that teach us great lessons on faith. Great lessons on the timing of God. And Jesus brings this woman's faith out into the open, out of its shell, and he invited then Jairus into a whole new realm of faith, even against the odds, even beyond his ability to reason. Sometimes we dumb down our prayers, don't we? And we don't trust him for the impossible things because we don't want to make God look bad. Imagine that. You understand? But from the outset of this book, Luke carefully tells the story of a God doing impossible things. Why? Because he wants you to know that Jesus is worthy of your trust. Today, people all over Highlands are reaching out to Jesus to get healing from all sorts of hurts and habits and hang-ups. They admit they can't do it alone. They need outside help. So they're coming to Jesus to find healing in areas that they never thought were possible. Jesus is meeting them just where they are. He's stopping. He's bringing healing. And now they're coming forward unafraid to share their story with you. Why? Because where God is involved, even the most personal stories are no longer private. They are celebrating recovery, recovery in Jesus. Join them, won't you? This is our open invitation to have, to join these and countless others. Check out Celebrate Recovery. I attend. It's the best place to be on a Friday night. Well, God has power over disease. 
He has power over nature. He has everything in your life. He has power over life and power over death, your death. Does that mean he will heal you or bring a loved one back to life? Well, no, that's not what Luke is saying here. But listen, an even greater miracle awaits you. Jesus has conquered death once and for all. And that changes everything. Fellow believer, your physical death here is just a pause. It is just a comma. It is just a threshold that you would walk through to a wondrous life with him. Even when writing in prison, Paul said these words, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And get this, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Someday, dear believer, you too will experience resurrection power of Jesus. Doesn't matter who you are. We all desperately need Jesus. Scripture says all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And we can try to, to redefine it, deny it, ignore it, excuse it, compare it. But in the end, we still are met with the fact that we have our sin. And we can't get rid of it ourselves. We need outside help. Doesn't matter who you are. You need to humble yourself. Confess your need for him. Fall at his feet and reach out to Jesus and trust him. Jairus fell at his feet. This woman fell at his feet. Simon Peter, when, when at fishing, he fell at the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, Mary fell at the feet of the resurrected Jesus and Thomas after putting his hand in the spear-pierced side of Jesus, fell at his feet saying, my Lord and my God. It doesn't matter who you are. One day, every person on earth will someday fall at the feet of Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Make that day today. So that soon you'll be able to say with the King of kings, as you breathe your last breath here, you'll wake up to the touch of Jesus and his voice saying, wake up. Hey, I've got something to show you. Let's pray. Well, Father, we come before you. We fall at your feet and worship you because of your great power. And Father, you are worthy of our trust. Forgive us, Lord for sanitizing our requests. Lord, we need to reach out to you to find healing, real healing. And as people here 
need to believe on you for the first time, may this be the time that they reach out to you and say, Jesus, I take you by faith alone. Save me. Deliver me. I want to follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' precious name, amen.